Your abundant grace, let us come, proclaim your grace, Holy Spirit, come in this Your own take you in prayer.
Well, good morning. <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. The title of this morning's message is A Silver Charger. A Silver Charger. No, we're not talking about a Dodge, amen? second to turn there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name, thanking you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, you'd speak to us and open us up, Lord, to hear from you. I pray, Lord, if there be anybody that needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, if anybody, Father, needs to give their heart to you, let this morning be the morning. Would you let today be the day? Let your name be glorified. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A silver charger. You probably know we're talking a little bit about John the Baptist this morning. I love the story of John the Baptist. Before we get into our scripture, I want to give you a little bit of background of what's happening here. John the Baptist was a controversial preacher. Not only was he controversial, he was hard. He was what we consider old-fashioned. Let me tell you how old-fashioned he was. He wore a leather belt of camel's hair and he ate locusts and wild honey. No wonder he wasn't married. Amen? So think about that for a second. He's old-fashioned, and he's hardcore. He's hard-nosed, and he's all Bible. And God help us have more preachers like that in the church today. Look with me in Mark chapter 6. Let's start in verse 12. The Bible says, So they went out and preached that people should repent. We're talking about Jesus' disciples here. Verse 13, They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now King Herod heard of him... For his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For he had married her. For John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up the half of my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist. You have an older translation on a silver platter or charger. On a platter, verse 26, And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in the tomb. Let's talk for just a minute about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is one of my favorite personalities in the Bible. 
Not only was he hardcore, not only was he old-fashioned, not only was he controversial, he was scripturally correct. Amen? He was one of those guys that did not give in to political correctness. And let me tell you, today's culture, they would have been trying to cancel him quickly. Amen? They would have been all over the place saying, this guy is not woke enough to be part of anything. Let me tell you, John the Baptist was very woke. He was woke with the Holy Spirit, and he was woke with God's power and God's Scripture. And when he preached, I love this right here, when he preached, even people who were living in sin, even though he preached against them, we read about King Herod saying he heard him gladly. You've got to understand that that's God working right there in somebody's life. Now, John comes out of the desert. He is a person that we don't have a great deal of information about. we got a little bit. we got enough to understand. But we don't know everything there is to know about John. He comes out of the desert. He's a relative of Jesus. In the long run, around a second or third cousin in church, he comes out of a line of Levitical priests. He's a uh, temple priest. His dad and his mom have moved off into a sect called the Essenes, if you're familiar with that. Uh, he's going to probably come out of there, out of the desert. That means the Essenes have separated themselves and become devoted to nothing but God and to God's Word. Sounds like a monk today or someone in, in some sort of monastery today. Uh, so he lived in this Essene uh, sect. They lived in the caves around the area of Qumran. And if you're familiar with what's going on in Qumran in Israel, then that's where we have found the Dead Sea Scrolls. So John the Baptist and his people were responsible for producing those scrolls. That's how much they held on to God's Word, and that's how much they valued it. They put it away, they translated it, and they lived it out. Well, in John's time of preparation, in John's time of prayer, God eventually spoke to him and said, You are the front runner. You're the one who's going to go forth and make straight the pathways of the Lord. And he goes out and he begins preaching a, pre- a, a sermon of repentance. He preaches to the soldiers. He says, You've got to quit complaining about your wages. He preaches to the people that are high up politically. He says, You've got to start living lawfully. And he preaches to religious people. And he says, You've got to quit being hypocrites. We need more sermons like that, don't we? So we have a picture of John the Baptist. He's a front runner of Jesus. When the Bible tells us he meets Jesus, he stops what he's doing and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Could you imagine what it would have been like to be able to lead Jesus down into the water and baptize him? To be able to witness the heavens open up and the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove and to hear that voice that says, This is my beloved Son. Can I get an amen this morning? Can you imagine what that would have been like? John the Baptist, who Jesus himself says, there's no greater prophet than John. And church, he didn't predict the future. He didn't write a book like Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of those other guys. He simply preached a simple message and said, you've got to repent. You've got to change what you're doing. And I believe, now listen to me for just a second, but I believe that that's the message needed for the United States of America today is we've got to repent. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. We've got to come back to Jesus this morning. We've got to get back to being a godly people. We've embraced immorality. We've embraced abortion. We've embraced a society that says godliness is the problem when really a lack of godliness is causing us to falter out. John the Baptist comes out of the desert. And he preaches a sermon of repentance. He says, you've got to quit this. Now, I love it because King Herod, the Bible says, hears him gladly. 
Now, if you read the verse carefully, it says, He does many things, but He hears them gladly. You know what that means? In modern day translation, what that means is, is King Herod acts like he's doing other things, but he's listening gladly. Do you know any Christians like that? I know a couple of them like that. Do you know any non-Christians like that? They listen to the Word of God in the background, but they're always too busy doing something else. You know what you're becoming? A King Herod. Let's take a look at Herod Antipas. That's the king we're talking about this morning. The Bible says he enjoyed John's preaching. He preached to the soldiers and he told those soldiers, be content with your wages. He preached to the politicians. He said, quit being a hypocrite. Lord, we need that kind of preaching today. We need somebody to stand up for Washington, D.C. and say, we're going back to doing it God's way. We've been living by the law of the jungle. It's time for us to live by the law of the Lord. It's time for us to do that again. He preached to religious figures. He said that preachers don't need millions of dollars. Preachers need the Word of God. He preached to all of them. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, repent because judgment day is coming. But you know, oh, Herod got angry when he made that preaching personal. Because let me tell you a little about Herod Antipas. You may not know this, but Herod Antipas got some eyes for his brother's wife. Has that ever happened before? In the United States it has. Like this. He got some eyes for his brother's wife. He took a look. Now, Let's just take a look at the coincidences here. His name is Herod. Her name is Herodias. Well, they got, already got a lot in common together. Both of them had terrible childhoods because of those names. Herodias. Who names her daughter Herodias? Yeah, I heard some laughter out there. Some of you are laughing a little too much now. They named that little girl Herodias. And so she was already looking for a shoulder to cry on. And Herod was like, cry here, baby. And so you see what's happening here. She was married to her half-uncle. That's right. And so one day she gets a look at Herod Antipas, who is the brother. So what does that make him? We're talking a messed up family. Go like that. One day they commit adultery and she leaves Philip and goes to be with Herod Antipas. Leaves him. And John the Baptist does what every Baptist preacher in America should do called out sin. He said, it's unlawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. He doesn't mean it's against the law. He doesn't say you're committing incest. He says it's unlawful. It's against God's morals for you to do that. John began preaching. And boy, when John preached at Herod, Herod got mad. What does the Bible tell us to do? He has John the Baptist caught and put in jail. You don't think those days are coming back? You better watch the news again. So here's the picture that we have here. We have a picture of an immoral king, a one of immorality, Herod, her husband, who was also her half-uncle. And here's a step-by-step example. Now, I want you to pay attention to what's happening here. Here's a step-by-step example of someone who's heard God's call, someone who's heard God's word, someone who's heard God's message, and decides not to respond. Like the Bible says, he heard him gladly, but he was often doing other things. In other words, it's just background noise. And I love it when John the Baptist is preaching against politicians. I love it when John the Baptist is preaching to my soldiers. He's telling my soldiers, be content with your wages. You know why he would love that? Go like this. Yeah, he loved it when he preached to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Zealots. He loved it when he preached to them. 
But when he turned around and he said, Herod, it's against God's law for you to have thy brother's wife. Oh, Herod got angry. And he had him put in prison. So we're going to take a look this morning as a step-by-step example of someone who hears the Word of God. Of someone who hears it and does not respond. We're going to take a look at what happens there. It's a picture of death. A picture of death. And you know what? You can apply this to a country, to a county, to a city, to a church. It does not matter when you decide to put God's Word, God's messenger behind you in prison. Then you can watch it go step by step no matter what the picture is. The first thing you have to do is start putting death to reason. What does that mean? That means you start justifying what you're doing. Well, she's really good looking, John. Hello? Well, I didn't think it really mattered. I'm not really a religious guy. I don't think it matters. You have to put to death your conscience. You know that? Because your conscience will convict you. Can I get an amen this morning? Your conscience convicts you. You have to put death to morality. Let me tell you, that's what's happening in the United States today. We put to death reason. We got boys that are going around saying, I'm really a girl. They put to death reason. Somebody say amen. We don't know what restroom to use anymore. We're so unreasonable. Put to death our conscience of what's right and what's wrong. And now we're putting to death our morality. We've been putting to death babies for the last 40 years. You know how many abortion death murders we've had here in the United States? 63 million. Do you know how many San Antonio's that is? That should be enough to put every one of us on our knees crying before the Lord saying, forgive us of the murders over and over again. You say, Josh, they can't take care of it. No, they should not have been immoral. Amen. Hallelujah. They have to put to death reason. And let me tell you, when you put to death reason, you try to reason everything away. You try to reason your immorality. You try to reason your sin. You try to reason what you're doing. You try to make it justified. And you might be doing that this morning. You might be sitting in the pew saying, I didn't want to come to hear a sermon against me, Pastor. You know what you are? You're Herod. You liked it when I was preaching against the soldiers going like this. You like it when I'm preaching against politicians. You like it when I'm preaching against Pharisees, Sadducees, and religious zealots. You like it. Don't want me to say it's unlawful for thee. You get a little mad right there, don't you? You say, well, I'm putting to death the reason. The reason's what's bothering me. No. Reason is what really what's bothering me. So I got to put to death my conscience, Pastor. Now I got to put to death my morality, and eventually you put to death God's authority. This book no longer is relevant to me. God's word is no longer relevant to me. It doesn't mean anything to me. We become a totally depraved nation, a people, a church, or a family. Become totally depraved. Let's take a look at what the Bible says about that. Let's look at Romans 8, verse 67. The Bible says, and I love this right here, this is about minds that are fleshy, carnal mind. Now, it's an old word, and it means fleshy, carnal. Always thought about this when I was in Greek class, and we would go through that word for flesh. You know what the Greek word for flesh is? Sarx, S-A-R-X. Sarx, I always thought of shark. That's how I remember that. You know, Jaws, he always wanted to eat somebody, right? Bum, bum, bum. So, to be carnally minded is to be fleshy, to be a carnivore. 
to love what is carnal. For to be carnally minded, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because, and I love the reason the Apostle Paul gives us here, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Let me translate that for you in modern day English. Because the fleshy mind is at war against God. It is constantly fighting with God. Fighting with God's Word. It's constantly saying, that doesn't make sense, God. It's constantly saying, but I enjoy doing what I'm doing. Surely it can't be wrong. The Bible says it's at war against God. And it is not subject to the law of God, God's moral, nor indeed can be. It has to be renewed. It has to be remade. It has to be refreshed. It has to be bought. It has to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Now, Herod ignored John's call to righteousness. And he ignored the call to repentance. Herod loved his sin so much that he lusted, the Bible tells us, after his very own stepdaughter. What a sick guy. Amen? We can sit right now and point fingers and say how horrible he is. We can say, that's disgusting. I can't believe it. I want you to get the scene in your mind's eye now. Don't get mad at me, but I want you to get the scene, the scene right here. We have... Herod's stepdaughter, her name is Salome. If you want to, you could call her salami. That's okay. She acted like a salami sandwich, didn't she? She became pretty meaty, apparently. In church, she danced, she danced a lustful dance with King Herod. This was a lot more than our Bible translates as she's just dancing. No, 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 no. It was a sensual dance designed to steer up King Herod's lust. And when Herod says, I want to give you up to half of my kingdom, it's can you finish the dance in private? This is his own stepdaughter. And what really gets me is she goes to her own mother and says, what should I charge him, Mom? You see the picture now? What happens when we let go of reason, when we let go of our conscience, when we let go of our morality, we become King Herod-like. And you, as a father, might be sitting there saying, I have reasoned against reason, and I've allowed my family to fall into sin. I reasoned it away, and I put to death my conscience, and I put to death my morals, and I put to death God's Word in my family. You know what you are now? You're at the verge of doing something you're going to regret. Could you imagine what it would have been like after that party in King Herod's house? You know, John the Baptist is dead. You know what gets me? We don't talk a lot about Herodias. She wanted him dead. Why? Because he condemned her publicly. He said, it's unlawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. In other words, what he's saying is you're an adulterer and you're an adulteress. And adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Somebody say amen. You can't do that. You can't do those things and be a Christian, a good, godly person. And he preached openly about that. And she was offended. And she said, I've got to get this guy killed. And she didn't mind her own husband being with her own daughter for the price of her revenge. And she reasoned it away. We are. Do you understand the picture now? Where are we as a country when we embrace homosexuality? When we embrace transgenderism? Will we embrace abortion? Will we embrace witchcraft and drug use nowadays? 
fully embrace it and say, well, it's not their fault. Well, then whose fault is it? Bible reminds us, the carnal reminder is death. You put to death reason. And you put to death morals. And you put to death God's Word. And fathers, we do it all the time when we break down and say, well, we can do this. It won't hurt us that much. Wrong. Every time we allow sin into our families, it hurts us. Somebody say amen. Every time we allow sin in the church, it hurts us. Every time we reason it away, we die a little more. Herod ignored the call to righteousness. He ignored the call to repentance. Herod loved his sin so much that he lusted after his own stepdaughter. And Herodias loved revenge so much. He was going to let her daughter be the price for that. Can you imagine the conversation next week? Uh, hey, Mom, how you doing? You know? Think about that. What was the price of that? When we determine ourselves to sin, when we make that determination in our heart and in our soul and in our spirit, when we say, I'm going to do this no matter what the reason. I'm going to do this no matter what my conscience says. I'm going to do this no matter what God says. Then we end up doing what Herod did to John the Baptist. We imprison God's message, number one. We imprison it, don't we? We put it in a prison. Where did we start here in the United States of America? In the 1960s, we took the Ten Commandments from the schools, from our courthouses, and we started putting people in jail for displaying them. Amen or oh me? We put them in prison. We ended up killing God's message. We ended up trading all we have for sin. You say, I don't want to see any more of that in the Bible. Yeah, you do. What about Abraham, Father Abraham? In Genesis chapter 12, God tells him, get out of your house. Go from daddy's house and take just you and your wife and go to a land that I will show you. Well, he does. He leaves. He takes Lot with him, of course, but he should not have done that. And church, as he ends up in Egypt, he ends up trading his morals, trading his conscience, trading his reason to be famous with Pharaoh. He traded his entire family so Pharaoh wouldn't be mad at him. How many drug users do you know that trade their family for methamphetamine? How many alcoholics do you know that trade their children for alcohol? And you have a picture of Abraham saying, go ahead and take my wife, Pharaoh. I'm going to stay in this lie. I'm going to stay in it forever. What's the price of it when we put to death and put in prison our reason, our conscience, and our morals? When we determine ourselves to sin, we have to imprison God's message. And you can see that happening over and over again. And what they do is begin taking God's message down step by step. They begin taking away the Ten Commandments. You say, what's the Ten Commandments got to do anything? When I was in seminary, we were going through the big argument. Do you remember the famous judge? I'm not going to give you his name, but you can look him up. Uh, the famous judge who decided, I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments out in front of my courthouse. Well, they showed up with a bulldozer and removed it in the bucket of the bulldozer and carried it away. Well, symbolically, he purchased them and put them out in front of his home. But it didn't matter. What mattered was is we allowed a country and we allowed a nation, a county, a city to tell us, God's people, 
what's right and what's wrong. When we're supposed to be John the Baptist telling them what's right and what's wrong. People love preaching until it gets personal, don't they? We love to point the finger at someone else, and we love it when our favorite preachers point the finger at somebody we don't like. But I want you to know something. Every time you point the finger at somebody, there's three others pointing back at you. When it comes to us, we hate getting preached to. So how do we look at this passage today? How do we learn from it? Well, number one, when we hear God's message, we react in one of two ways. Remember, if you're going to put it to death, then that's how you can keep moving on into spiritual death. You've got to imprison God's Word. But as a Christian, as a believer, we can take a look at it in a couple of the ways. Number one, when we hear God's message, we react in one of two ways. We either kill the message or we repent. We either decide to stay spiritual or we decide to go carnal with it. We either kill the message or we repent. I wonder what would have happened if Herod Antipas had repented that morning. I wonder where he would be. I got a feeling that he would be following Jesus. Let's take a look at Herod's party here. Let's look in Mark 6, 21 and 23. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced, remember her name is Salome. How do we know that? Because a man by the name of uh, Josephus, Flavius Josephus, gave us her name. He's a Jewish historian that came about about 15 to 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. He's an interesting individual, and he's the one who provided us her name, uh, Salome. And so when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. As you know, it's a proposition. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. So, let's take a look at Herod's stepdaughter for just a second. Let's move on from there. Salome, she danced for Herod, and Herod makes an indecent proposal. Salome goes to her mom and says, Mom! By the way, this is Herod's wife. This is her own mom. This is the person she's married to. She goes to him and says, Mom! I wonder if she called him Dad. Probably not. Huh? Mom! Herod Antipas has offered me something. What shall I charge him? Can you imagine those two ladies plotting together? Gee, honey. I'll tell you what, I'd charge them. I'd charge them the head of John the Baptist in a silver harness. Well, Herodias hated the message so much, she overlooked what she's doing to her own daughter. She overlooked that, just like Father Abraham did when he tried to stay in the lie so much, he was going to allow Pharaoh to marry his own wife. How many of us have done that? How many of us have traded our children, traded our wives, traded our family for drugs, for alcohol, for a lie, for fame, for fortune, for just a little bit of money? We have sold them out. And here we have Herodias selling out her own daughter for revenge against a man who said, you're an adulteress. Incidentally, he was 100% correct. Can I get amen? She hated the message so much, she overlooks what she's doing to her own daughter. And you can find out that carnally-minded people will often hate God's Word so much that they will trade their families for revenge against God. Let's take a look at what happens here. Remember, you've got to put to death the message of God. You've got to put to death the conscience as well. Take a look with me in Romans 2.15. The Bible says, "...who show the work of the law," that's God's law, "...written in their hearts." 
their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them. Church, when we sin, we do it with the knowledge that it's right or it's wrong. Your conscience tells you. And the Bible says God wrote the work of the law on your heart. So when you sin, you have the knowledge that it's right or wrong. You know what conscience means? Con is the word with. Science means knowledge. With knowledge. When you sin, you do it with the knowledge that it's wrong. And you have to put to death your conscience, just like Herodias did. You have to put to death that family relationship. You have to put to death God's Word. And all of that was pictured in the death of John the Baptist. Her marriage with Herod must have been over by then. What do you think? Could you imagine what those morning conversations would have been like? Good morning, sweetheart. Wow. I don't know about you, but I couldn't look her in the face. Her relationship with her own daughter must have been over. Think about what that means. How many of us are willing to trade family, friends, loved ones to stay in our sin? You say, what does that mean for me, Pastor? I am involved in homosexuality. I'm involved in other kinds of sin. Can God save me? I have put to death God's message. And I have put to death the death reason and my conscience and morals. What does that mean for me? Can God save me? You know what the answer is? Yes. Will God save you? You know what the answer is? Yes. Is there hope for you? And the answer is yes. Look with me in Hebrews 7 verse 25. The Bible says, therefore, He, being Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. He will save to the uttermost. God can take the most unclean person and make them the cleanest person in the world. God can take the most defiled person and make them the most pure person. God can take the most horrible story and turn it into the greatest testimony. Amen? He is able to save to the uttermost. What does uttermost mean? When I was young, I used to love watching cartoons. You know what my favorite cartoon was? Don't tell anybody. My favorite cartoon was Underdog. (laughs) I loved Underdog because he was a superhero that was the underdog. Later on, as I grew up, I started watching other stories and one of my other favorite ones was Mighty Mouse. Remember Mighty Mouse? Hmm? Mighty Mouse was like an oxymoron. He had this mouse that was super duper strong. He could beat up everybody. Later on, I started watching Superman and Spider-Man and things like that. And their powers were able to save them to the uttermost. Can I tell you something about Jesus? The blood of Jesus Christ can save you to the uttermost. It can cleanse you. It can make you new. It can take that carnal mind we talked about and renew it and make it a spiritual mind. It can give you a new life. It can give you a new purpose. It can give you a new place. And what you've got to do is come to Jesus Christ. What you've got to do is hear right now the Word of God as John the Baptist is still preaching, still out there saying, Repent! For the kingdom of God is at hand. And I'm here to tell you this morning, repent! For the kingdom of God is definitely at hand. But God demonstrates, church, His own love for us. 
That's the other thing that we often have in today's society. Show me the money, preacher. Boy, I have two sons that joined the military. And I remember my eldest when he joined the Navy. I told him, don't you sign for a job till you see it in paper. You see what you get. Don't let somebody tell you this is what you're getting because you don't ever get what they tell you. Go like this, guys. You know what I'm talking about. Especially when it comes to the military. So I said, make them show you in writing. And you know, people do that to me all the time when it comes to Jesus. Show me in writing, Pastor. What has God done for me? What has God done for me? Can God love me? Can God really save me? I want you to look with me in Romans 5 and verse 8. I want you to look with me there. Listen to what the Bible says. But God demonstrates His own love toward us. You see, you don't have to sit down there today saying, I wonder if God loves me. God already loves you. You don't have to get yourself changed to have God love you. He already loves you. You don't have to get yourself fixed up. He already thinks you're worth His only begotten Son. You don't have to change because He thinks you're worth every precious drop of His blood. And He's already shown it on Calvary's tree. And all you got to do is look right now at the cross and say, He loves me that much. But God demonstrated His own love for us. And while we were still sinners, while we were Herodias's, while we were Salome's, while we were homosexuals, while we were drug addicts, while we were alcoholics, while we were adulterers, while we were uncontent, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because He loves you. And He thinks you're worth His only begotten Son. Show me the money. Jesus showed it to me on Calvary's I'm going to give you an opportunity to come and put Jesus in your heart this morning. Perhaps you want to say, Pastor, I need to have Jesus in my heart and in my life. Would you be willing to come and get saved this morning? Pastor, say, Pastor, I need to be a part of Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. Would you be willing to come and share that with us this morning? Pastor, say, Preacher, I am a Christian and I am a church member. But I have been put to death God's Word. I've been put to death God's morality. I've been put to death my conscience and reason. And I want to come back to Jesus. You know what you do? Come down here and grab a hold of the altar. You don't need me. You need Jesus. Come down and say, Jesus, I'm getting it right with you today. Would you be willing to repent? Would you hear John's message from so many years ago? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's close in that word of prayer. He's spoken to you. Would you come? Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray, even now, that you take charge of this time. Send your spirit, Lord. And if there be anybody here that needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, anybody, Father, that needs to get their heart right with you, anybody needs to get saved, Lord, anybody needs to repent, anybody needs to become a part of all this morning. We give up, save you that. As we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Would you come as we sing? Lord, I'm coming home. Lord, I'm coming home. Come on. Rise to your feet.
Don't put to death reason this morning. Don't put to death morality. Don't put to death God's message. Come on. Come on. One more, just for you. Come on. Amen. At this time, can I get two of my deacons to come forward, please? It is my prayer that as you came in, you received your Lord's Supper elements. If you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to know where we get this from, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Starting in verse 23, the Bible says, For I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are to remember the Lord's death by eating the bread, and we are to remember his blood by drinking the juice. Brother Joan, would you take us to the Lord in prayer? would remove that first layer so that's a little bit (laughs) (laughs) by 
I received from the Lord will also I deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. This to do in remembrance of In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Brother Tad, would you take us to the Lord's Supper? is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And all God's children said, Amen. Praise the Lord. In 26, 27 years of ministry, I've often found it appropriate to conclude every Lord's Supper service with a singing of a hymn. So it's been my tradition over those 27 years to conclude it with a singing of my favorite hymn. Jesus loves me. This I know. I'm going to ask Brother Robert, would you let it be our closing prayer? Let it be our closing for reminding me. Church I have here, Stephanie Maley. You know her. She's been coming for a little bit. And she has actually known most of y'all all the time. So she's been involved in a lot of Robert Nazareth does. Well, she comes this morning and says God is calling her to be a part of Robert Nazareth. You'll pray for her. You'll love her and support her and her membership here at Robert Nazareth. Would you say amen? amen? That sounds unanimous to me. Well, God bless you. So I'm going to ask you as you leave, make sure you come by and hug her neck. Tell her you're praying for her and get her involved in what's going on. God bless you. Thank you. With that being said, we are dismissed, and I'll see you hopefully tonight at 6 o'clock.